Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I interview Amir Borzorgzadeh. He is the co-founder and CEO of VirtuLeap, a VR startup that unlocks neuroscience with virtual reality to help pharmaceutical companies accelerate the approval of drugs designed to treat cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's disease. Uh, to, previously, uh, Amir founded uh, Game Guys, a mobile uh, game studio based in Dubai. And the first time social impact startup to introduce time banking to the Middle East. He's an alumni of uh, the York University and uh, THNK School of Creative Leadership. Amir is contributing writer to the tech blogs like VentureBeat, TechCrunch, and on the topics of emerging tech, spatial computing, and startups. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Amir. Thanks for having hey. me, Dylan. Hey, brother, glad to have excited. you. I'm super excited as well, man. I love I love all the things that we're talking about in your bio, the the virtual reality, helping people grow um, and, and like really helping people level up in life. So I'd love to dive into this and just talk to me a little bit more about your background and what brought you into the world of virtual reality and, and, and helping people level up. Sure. So I, I grew up in um, Vancouver, Canada, and then I uh, been an expat uh, lost at sea um in in places like dubai and all across europe and now based in portugal um for about you know i think 10 years or so my background is as a market researcher to begin with and then i moved into games publishing during the first recession uh one wave ago and then um i i started taking a stab in the in the in the social impact space and then you know you know blast a few years later and i'm i'm scribbling away writing article after article covering this thing called spatial computing and virtual reality and augmented reality and their intersection with other emerging technologies like you know blockchain and big data and ai learning tools and all the other buzzwords we can use and that got me into kind of a, a, a you know intersection point of neurosciences and vr which is the startup that i'm working on right now no, oh, that's great, man. It, it, when you're talking about it, there's something that I always see like this, this, this path that people go on from a journey of, of, you know, uh, business to impact to really just more being kind of a journalist in the space and really like understanding and digesting everything to eventually taking all that data in, creating it and leveling up almost like a, a, a self-driven AI system that you first got to ingest all the data and be able to process it. And then you output something creative and unexpected. Like, could you talk to me a little bit uh, before I talk about the journalist piece, the social impact piece? Like, why did you get into social impact? What was your mm -hmm. motivation behind it? And then what kind of what kind of social impact really gets you the most excited? Well, it kind of relates initially to what you were you were kind of describing in your own words, but mm -hmm. what I immediately uh, you know identified with, with by one word, and that's a very psychoanalytical word called circumambulation, which is kind of the the idea that a person is more or less thrown into the world and they, they, they somewhat are kind of like going around a circle and narrowing in like a spiral based on resonating with ideas and, and things that really bring them a life, you know? And that's really what it is to be kind of the fool thrown out into the journey of the hero's path and kind of figuring out who you are and then magnetically kind of just attracting yourself to this and that and this and that. And then it just all comes together as a jumble of things that kind of you merge together as a, like a real like resonating force that you know ultimately if you're lucky and you have the courage you you 
formulate that into an aim and into a dream. That's beautiful. You say circumambulation, is that what you said the word is? Yes, yeah, it's a really old school word, circumambulation. And it's the idea that you're spiraling in, you're trying, you're, you're noticing, you want to, like, you know, in, in, from the point of view of a hero's journey in terms of self-realization, uh, yeah. a, a person is trying to, you know, um, you know, uh, alchemically kind of uh, take the, take the uh, um, crude metal of what they are and, and refine it into the gold, you know? That's yeah. it's what we're all after, I think, more or less. And all of these out, outward external adventures that we're on hopefully always has an inward adventure. Um, and the result is, is first and foremost becoming a, you know, a better version of you. Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah, there's always the called the hero's two journeys, and it's and it's and what you're talking about is almost like a, a personal alchemy. You're transforming a, a lower substance into a higher substance through some sort of alchemy, and that that combination of you want this goal, but along the goal, it's who you become to get the goal that really is the the, the deeper, more meaningful thing behind it, which right. is which is super powerful. So with that, you got into to to journaling and journalism and taking in all these data sets of like, as you, as we all the buzzwords, right? AI, VR, augmented reality, you know, everything that's probably crypto as well, throw, the, throw all that fun stuff together. And, and along the way, I mean, what did you have as revelations that, that gave you the confidence, the courage and the luck to be able to step into the next space? You know, luck is a, a very important word. Um, serendipity is even a better word. You know, yes. again, I, I don't, I don't look at things as, uh, too random often i often see you know every moment is profound or yeah. or potentially profound and if you aren't experiencing profundity in this moment then it's because you got uh you know barriers uh of all sorts uh, keeping you from from realizing that um so you know journaling or, or or covering the space for for those blogs i actually didn't make a dollar in four years of, of dozens and dozens of articles i did that again for me to have a space to research and understand a sector that i was very um, you know, compelled to participate in, but I didn't know where and how. And during that process of journaling, which was really me just putting on my research hat and interviewing, you know, hundreds of people, uh, you know, during a four year span, I found out that there's two critical use cases for virtual reality, where it actually has a critical use case that has a huge impact on society. And that's healthcare applications and educational applications. Everything else is nice to have. Gaming's great, but, uh, you know, in terms of, having like a um, you know game-changing uh, effect on something that's critical to people's quality of lives. Um, it's those two sectors and that's what got me into it. But it took all that research and took several years and not a dollar did I earn many of those articles. It was just a, a means to an ends. Yeah, man, that's so, it's so powerful what you said. There's a couple of things. One, you're talking about there's this digestion period, digestion period of, of like, you know, almost getting pregnant with an idea. But you really need to like, much like a baby grows inside a stomach, you needed to give that space. And in order to have that space, you need to fill it up with everything it needs to grow with all the, the nutrients to, to, to give birth this thing. And at the same time, as you get exposed to these things, some people say, I like VR, I'm gonna step into it. What's my what's my tool belt for my past life? And then they try to hammer with that. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I, I make film, I'm gonna make a 360 film. And there's like, there's just no, they don't allow that space, that gap, that growth, that digestion period to really get past what we call the trough of disillusionment, where you go right. and you try something out and you're like, you get so excited by VR, but you really don't understand the value of VR until you see hundreds of things and you realize that's cool, that's a gimmick. That's cool, that's a gimmick. And then you saw the true value. I totally agree with you. Education and, and medical 
innovations in, in the virtualized space are two of the areas that actually provide true value beyond, wow, that's cool. And oh my God, that scared the crap out of me. Like those right. types of things that you have in the, in the virtual space is, is things that make virtual reality powerful are things that are risky, mm -hmm. things that are rare, things that are dangerous, things that are difficult, right? And, and medical and education are all those, all those things, those educations that you can kind of uh, take over someone's reality mm -hmm. and really and create a new reality for them, which is super powerful. And why I love talking to people that create virtual reality applications, especially in this type of space, because you're literally crafting a reality around someone to really have them go through it like you're the dungeon master in their in their game of life and you're taking them to a new space. So what I would love to see here is talk to me a little bit about uh, Virtually. Talk to me about what it is, why is it different, and ultimately how are you helping transform the user and or what they're doing to bring them to another level if they didn't have the virtual reality. Right. Well, I mean, like you just said, you know, and you agree, thankfully, um, you know, the critical use cases are in those areas. And why are they in those areas? Because virtual reality is the first digital format that transcends screen-based formats like your tablets and your smartphones, which have been amazing for maximizing accessibility because they're just right in your pocket, but they exclude the body. And what we know about the human condition and human psychology um, and even the nonverbal aspects of, of the human circuitry, like the autonomic nervous system that actually believes that a virtual reality simulation is real, is that that's what VR does. VR triggers our vestibular balance system, our proprioception into believing that I'm standing on a very tall precipice and or a tall building or something. And my knees, regardless of my cognition, ego, whatever, knows I'm in my living room, my knees buckle and shake because my phobia of heights is triggered. So this is the first digital format that does that, that it's digital, fine, but it, it triggers our body into believing it's actually a simulacrum, a, re, a, a, a imitation of reality that's so close to it that just like a lie detector test, you know, you don't want necessarily as a, as a criminal, for example, if you're on a lie detector test for your body to tell the truth and you don't know what the hell is going on. Why is my body and my pulse telling the truth? Well, there's aspects of our nonverbal side of our, you know, not consciousness, but just our psychology and maybe, I don't know, biochemistry um, that connects and engages and is compelled by VR experiences. And that creates a, a, a substantial myriad of, of healthcare, medical, diagnostic, therapeutic training uh, simulations that I think people that don't know that biochemical uh, kind of relationship that VR stimulates, they don't understand why, but that's why the FDA um, just opened up last year a new category um, called medical extended reality. If you read Brendan Spiegel's VRX books, he cites you know the the five thousand studies to date that have illustrated how VR can be used for uh, therapeutic and diagnostic applications and and the like. Um, you know, and and it's 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 kind of uncanny that COVID hit when it did because it was exactly when VR was able to kind of uh, um, emerge out of experimentation and really come into gear at a time when we need it the most. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, one, I'm, I'm getting a whole new uh, vocabulary from you. So every time you do, I'm writing down these words as you go through them. Simulcrum? Uh, uh, is that what you said? Simulcrum. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a title of a book, kind of like a predecessor to the Matrix movie. It's a, it's a book based on the I, I, an idea of simulation theory and the like. By the way, I didn't even talk about virtually, but I sorry, I, get, I got carried away. <laughs> well, I'll touch on it. I'll come back to it. There's a couple things you said that I think is super cool. One, you're talking, your body tells the truth in VR, but, but basically your body tells you your own truth, right? Because we're all living in our, in our own distorted reality as we step through it and we share realities as we come together and collide. 
And we know that like, depending on whose frame is stronger, you take over that reality and you move forward, right? So what's really cool you're telling me is like, yeah, if you're afraid of, if you're afraid of heights, if their story that you're telling in your brain is that I don't like heights, you might, you might lie to everybody else, but your body's gonna be like, no, 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 we know the truth. You're terrified. You better get off this ledge. And so your <laughs> body telling you your own truth back to you inside reality, being able to show that biochemical truth, super interesting stuff. And then you're also talking about uh, Brandon Spiegel and, and his, uh, his, the, an article that he wrote on book, the, VRX, VRX, oh, book, book, VRX. He's, he's one of the healthcare pioneers at, at uh, Cedar sinai um, And he's probably, you know, his, his VRX is like the seminal piece. Anyone listening to this and interested in this topic, read Brendan Spiegel's uh, book. I have no relationship. I'm not going to get royalty from this, but he deserves uh, that, that credit for what he's accomplished. Yeah, just click on Amir's link below. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you know, like, you know, VR is older than what we, we know. I know everyone knows more or less that there's been previous iterations and waves. Yeah. But I mean, VR was initially the proponents of VR weren't geeks like me. They were, you know, a, a sort of different kind of geek. There was Timothy Leary and Terrence yeah. McKenna. Those were the people who were talking about virtual reality during the first generation. And why? Because they understood the psychological aspects and dimensions to what virtual reality does. Does. And you know, clinics have been using VR for over 25 years, just using really crappy tech. You know, the good tech is now out, but desensitization therapy to phobias like spiders and and like the phobia of heights that I'm I'm actually mentioning to you, but I actually have it. You know, nice. um, I've been able to substantially reduce my uh, fear of heights using um, really cool. Uh, um, and scary ass, uh, you know, experiences like plank and 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 the, and the climb up and so on. <laughs> yeah, there's a, well, I mean, it even goes farther back than that. You're looking at like the Sensorama in the 1950s, where it was like this big giant device, you know, like that, then followed by the sort of Damocles and on and on and on. But you're right, like these, these realities, and they were also experimental. So very much how the computers were also created by people that were, I would say, barely in this reality. I mean, they were, they were touching <laughs> the very other forms of reality extension. <laughs> Um, and what yeah. I call reality stacking the pharmaceuticals along with virtual reality into a new, into a new sure. space. That's, sure. that's, that right there is, I mean, it, it takes these wild, wild west pioneers to come through. People see the value where it goes from crazy zone to prolific. And then the mainstream can adopt the prolific by looking at it going, wow, that is incredible. Yeah. Right. And yeah. things that you're talking about right now is, is going into the area of <laughs> things that are scary are usually amazingly beneficial. And they mm -hmm. help you grow. It's funny because you're like, I have a fear of heights, and I beat the crap out of myself in VR until that went away. And that's that to me is so awesome because you're using VR for its really intended purpose, which is helping you reach your full potential. And that because yeah. you because you can step in, you can what reality do you want to have? It's like it's like YouTube. People create their own realities in YouTube. You could surf the internet on YouTube all day long and I don't know, and get really uh just get really enamored with all the hatred and vitriol and read the YouTube comments, get deep, deep in the dark hole True. or you can find all positivity and love and inspiration, but VR has so much more power for that. So like with that, you talked a little bit about, and I think we're going to get there with the virtually <laughs> on, on and what's inside there. Can you walk me through, uh, can you give me, uh, the, 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 you know, what I call humans first virtual reality, our imagination and, and mental model, walk me through virtual leap on what people experience, what would they do and what is the benefits of the system? Sure. You know, um, one of the one of the one of the amazing aspects and the one that I'm most obviously because I drink the Kool-Aid first of all, but I'm most most into is yeah. is is what are the actual uh, neuroscience implications of the technology um, and in the direction of where you know we've seen 
um, the evolution of neuropsychological assessment tools throughout the last decade really become more and more accessible and advanced. Um, for example, I think only only Japan is the only country that it's mandatory by law if you're employed to do a cognitive assessment once a year. Um, they find it so important to do cognitive assessments because they see brain health as important as we see just physical health alone. I think with COVID, we're starting to be more and more appreciative of what our brain health matters, our mental health, our mental fitness, all these terms and what do they really mean. And so our virtually what we're doing is we're essentially taking a lot of those standardized neuropsychological assessment tools that have been used by neurologists for decades and decades to assess someone's cognitive function, like their memory skills, their information processing skills, um, uh, their problem solving skills, um, and take these and translate them into these 3D rendered environments in VR that test those particular cognitive functions, but on top of that, also spatial orientation, motor control, spatial audio awareness. And so we created this library of closed loop short mini games that take about three minutes a pop. And what they do is they're basically like Mary Poppins, um, you know, a, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. These are games, but we don't design them to be addictive or to maximize session length. In fact, we don't want you playing them that often because we don't want you to habituate to the game and therefore just get good at the game. They're just mm -hmm. each one designed to just assess you according to some parameters of cognitive function and give you a sense of how you stand according to averages, according to how you compare in certain skills, but but maybe compared to other ones, you're, you're overbalanced as a caricature. For example, me, I'm really horrible, like really, really horrible with spatial orientation skills. And in the games that I play with spatial orientation testing me, I show that as a caricature, I show heavy memory and attention skills and very low um, uh, spatial orientation skills. And you can see that that's reflected in my real life when I'm in a town with my wife um, in, a, in a small village in Europe and I'm like constantly lost. Doesn't matter if I've been there two weeks, she might laugh at me because I just don't know where the hell north is, but that's, that's my character, my nature. And so our tool on the one hand assesses you diagnostically, hopefully validated in, in, in future months um, by the regulatory bodies. And then two, it gives you a way to follow and track that progress over time according to all those different cognitive functions. And three, just get a sense of knowing yourself, your weaknesses and your strengths. And maybe in the weaknesses, you can play games designed to strengthen those weaknesses. So that's the ed tech aspect of it uh, beyond just the healthcare. That's super cool. Yeah, the, um, you know, I think we all want to live in a game because it's more clear cut, right? We don't understand. The, the, one of the biggest problems that we have in order to level ourselves up is we're not aware that it's a problem. Like, you're like, oh, I'm, 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 I know things. I remember things. I know where things are at. And then you get tested and you, and you have some sort of unbiased feedback goes, oh, no, you're not. And then you have to come to a realization where you either, you either have some sort of cognitive dissonance where you separate that and you're like, I refuse to accept that. Or you you embrace it and you and you use that as a way to 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 get better. So I think it's it's really cool that you get these things. And what you talk about too is uh, there's a the hedonic treadmill, right? You get used to something and then you get used to that speed and you have to go up more to get more to get more to get faster 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 with that pleasure. And so you're you're constantly on this this race. You're you're using the thing as these little micro pops of practice this, allow your body to retain it, learn it, level it up. But you don't desensitize yourself to the experience versus right. if you did it. If you, if you, I don't know, um, maybe this isn't a good example, but you look at like a spider for 12 hours straight, you know, it's not, you're not gonna, it's yeah. not gonna give you the same type of benefits as you would as the compounding interest of experience over time. Right. That stuff up. Right. And, you, go for it. You don't, you don't want to, 
numb down, um, numb out of the novelty effect of something. Um, what we are great at is habituating to things. I think uh, in terms of you know um, uh, our own personal uh, challenges for taking and seizing the day, uh, it's really because we don't want to get out of our routines because we're habituation kind of addicts. Um, you know, the, the whole workforce of middle managers are like, from my point of view, a horrific uh, obscenity because that's kind of role where you can just be a habituation machine versus a entrepreneur or founder, you're constantly thrown into ambiguity where you have to constantly, if you want to survive and live on for the next day is constantly uh, face your, your habits and, and, and have to rejig them. And so even in the assessment side of things, um, you know, habit, habits can be our enemies. And I think um, uh, there are laurels that we rest on. There are also our, uh, our crutches. Um, they're great in some senses, but I think from my point of view, um, you know, habituating is, is always something that uh, blurs our vision. Yeah, man. The looking at there's a couple of things you said that that are really powerful. The the reason that that middleman situation kind of there's no growth in this space, right? You're either at the bottom going to the top, or you're at the top trying to grow the whole company more. And if you if you look at the lack of a better term, heroic journey of a company, what worked for you at level one of a company, solo entrepreneur, does not work for, I have a thousand employees and I'm working for it. Right. You yourself have to grow. And that's why sometimes founders don't become CEOs, they get swapped out unless they have the ability to grow at the speed or the rate of their own self-evolution to keep up with the company. Can you talk to me a little bit about your own evolution in this company, how you've needed to adapt, not rest on your loyals. What have been the things that that you had to kind of let go of your crutches and turn those crutches into capes to kind of level up where you're at? Yeah, I, you know what? I don't want to be uh, contra too controversial, but I think it's very few big companies that actually have any hero lifeblood left. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, fine, Elon Musk really, uh, really out, yeah. <laughs> out, outlier. You know what I mean? For sure. Uh, I think you know, there's no. I don't think any other names really. I think a lot of people uh, are just personas, or they're just masks. Uh, as a puppet piece of the brand image. Uh, I think there was a term I once read a long time ago, it's institutional confidence. It's like, that's what imbues an employee of a big company. My, my institutional conf, um, confidence of being part of this greater brand entity and I'm an extension of it. And it's actually quite gross when I think about it, to be honest, because when, you, when the, the human spirit um, is counter to that, it's not about, uh, you know, I think we moved a, a, away from tribalism um, and, and you see the best and brightest aspects and features of human, humanity and an individual when, when they're not uh, kind of, um, you know, they, they're not overshadowed by some other kind of, um, you know, figure in the background that they're connected to and, and they have to not say certain things or they're obliged to be, you know, we using we as a pronoun, you know, I hope you can follow what I'm trying to say. Whereas, you know, you know, these are elephants that don't move in any um, sudden trajectory when something happens and that requires them to change. They'll do it only when they're forced to. They're not this uh, forces of disruption. They're status quo, and that's what entities, you know, worker bees at big companies ultimately in the middle manager side of things are. You know, it's I I. I I see the world as it is right now because there aren't enough heroes. 
um, in the majority. And we say we we say there are, and we love using the word innovation. I think no one actually really likes innovation by and large. It's only the very few who like it because people don't like to go against their habits. Disruption is against their habits. Societies that status quo, disruption destroys status. It's completely not something we like. And I think we we think we like these words, but we don't actually. A lot of us. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, my ego is allowing me to pretend I'm the exception here. But you know, with with virtually, <clears throat> you know, I picked such a, a, a awful uh, intersection of emerging technology and an application of something that that burdens and disrupts, you know, major uh, sectors. Thankfully, COVID has actually helped in that way. I don't want to talk like COVID's a positive thing, but it certainly has helped with, with VR and increasing the wheels of regulatory bodies. But um, you know, as a founder of this kind of startup, and my co-founder and CTO Hussein, he'll go, "Why didn't we do a startup in esports?" You know, I'm like, "Why did you have to pick this kind of thing?" Because one, we're creating a library of games, not just one app or one experience. We're creating a whole like ecosystem, you know, and we're one startup. And and you know uh, the investment community is is always changing their opinions, and a lot of the investment community are are so old school, especially in Europe. They're like they're they're like dinosaurs compared to the uh, the ones I talk to in the U.S. But you know, um, in that kind of environment, everything is is adversarial. It means we never have a day without um, hustling and having to problem solve and having to you know disc. Uh, ne we never get to enjoy the other aspects of habits as we get to it lets us rest right. Yeah. We we can get very fatigued, and mental health is actually a big problem. I think in the last year or so, with me and my founder, we we've been through like every kind of uh, scenario to like you know test our wits. So um, changes every day, actions every day, uh, problems to, to to fix every day. Um, people changing paths constantly. It's 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 crazy, and I think um, you know it's it's also exhilarating because of that. That's yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack in that. There's people have kind of like there's like um an equilibrium of potential, right? Like some people get comfortable. Some companies only want to make a million. Some want to make ten million. Some want to make a billion, or whatever that thing might be along the path. And then they get there, they get comfortable, and then they get scared or falling off the edge. And so they they don't continue that rate of innovation. Versus someone like we'll use Elon Musk as an example. He goes, he's not just happy with. Dis, you know, disrupting one industry, he's disrupting every single industry all at the same time. Like he's an alien. So he's, he's truly an alien and or from the future. We're not too sure which, but it's one of those two. And I completely agree with you. And the, the, how do you, there's uh, two questions that I'm looking at on this is one is as you grow, the getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, making that a habit, right. And continuing keeping that keeping that okay we're, we're my goal is to get to this step now we got to take the next step you know how do you have and, and how do you how do you keep how do you have growth or innovation as a habit even how do you make that uncomfortable thing comfortable which is a contradiction in and of itself that's my one question and the and the other piece of that journey is is along the way it, it, it definitely stresses uh the 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 mind and you talked about mental health along the way so how do you have that as a habit? But then also, how do you armor up for the for the game of life as you go about here? What what is what does your routine look like so that you can keep yourself um, sane while you go through all of this? So one of the things you know Elon Musk brings up is is a kind of uh, individual that we've lost uh, kind of sight of um, in in modern life, where we've created factory kind of uh, best practices for education and throwing you into the factory, make you like this person and get you ready for that hyper specialized role and we don't like uh we don't we don't 
look at that Renaissance man or Renaissance woman. I, you know, I want to unpack that word and, and, and uh, uh, revive it. But the Renaissance uh, spirit uh, of, of being able to be not necessarily a master, but giving yourself permission to become a, dil a dilettante or someone who is um, fairly good at this and that and that and change tracks and become like go and do a startup completely in the opposite way. Elon Musk, he's like, you know, I'm going to go and do this. And it's completely diametrically opposite to his experience and background. He goes, F it, I'm going to do it. And he just does it. And he puts a billion dollars behind it. And that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. But um, um, I think when you're hyper-specialized through the system, you lose a lot of that inner aspects to yourself uh, that allows you to, to think of your identity as being able to be many other things, multiple things, parallel lives in one thing that could be relived in this life. If you know, if you want to be something, you and we watch the Disney films on our couch eating, you know, microwave food or whatever, and we think about that. But literally, we don't think it's possible to be many things at once and many things in one lifetime we we kind of pigeonhole ourselves and so you know my point of view and the kind of routine i'm gonna jump a little bit um yeah. the routine i do is kind of connected to this i'm a junkie for psychoanalytical uh literature you know carl Jung, i think um you know is the source of the hero's journey and you know um you know um joseph campbell and, and the like uh, you know were stepping on the shoulders of giants uh like Jung and nietzsche and uh, many other you know, philosophers that extend back to the Greek times and the pre-Socratic times and Pythagoras and all these amazing societies where one of the most important aspects of, of someone is their psychology and the depth of their thinking and emotional feeling. And, and, you know, one thing I have to say that maybe has been lost in what I've studied about human psychology is, is our appreciation and our practice of symbolic thinking, um, you know, thinking of metaphors and archetypes. I mean, the hero is an archetype. Um, back in the time of, of uh, you know, ancient Greece, their society was steeped with, uh, a horde, a myriad of, of, of heroic uh, tales and scenarios of every kind because their culture was constantly looking at heroic deeds and, and circumstances. And, and I believe, uh, you know, this might be conjecture, I believe they use that as inner metaphors for their, you know, confrontation of life and the, and the, and the things that life brings to you as challenges and how you can, you know, um, face those things because all of those archetypes and all of those um, mythologies and those stories were actually all kind of inside you already but you know it's kind of like um ready to be triggered uh, according to you going out there and blasting yourself into novelty and meaning you know it, it only activates i swear to god they're gonna find out in a thousand years or maybe in five years um uh that genes turn on based on us forcing ourselves into new experiences and that activates our potential because it's not because it's our potential it's already in there it's just like i think our our, our operating system is like oh you want to live a boring life then there's no need to activate these additional uh you know genes of x y and z features and talents and traits and that's the renaissance um uh spirit right uh, until elon musk throws him tell, uh, himself into the space ter territory he doesn't offer himself that opportunity to adapt and activate himself and his latin sides to be able to be um proficient in that sector in that new you know dark corner uh where he can have an impact yeah man there's a so uh, taking it one thing at a time here uh carl young carl young had uh, one of the things i love is is the is the man child the god who remained forever young right that that is the 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 greatest 
shame that someone has is is is, is the you know as uh, was it mm. uh, said uh, to to live a life of quiet desperation, going to the grave with a with a song unsung in them, right? So it's the same thing. It's that we have this potential, and the, one of the beautiful things about kids and small is that, that they have so much potential, right? The potential to grow into who they are, what they are, what they want to be, and they can go in any any which direction. And the only way to really tap into that is to be challenged. Like as as parents, there's this really weird balance. I was talking in the last podcast about this uh, to a father, and I don't know if you're a dad, but like they you you want your kids to be safe and protected, but you want them to be ready for life. So you need to expose them to dangers and, and trust that they'll figure it out, but you don't want them to get hurt. You don't want you don't want to rub the rob the child of their innocence, but at the same time, you want to prepare them for life. And so the, the biggest challenge and the, the, the greatest shame is, is having someone not reach their full potential. And what you're talking about in terms of genetics, I believe is epigenetics. Epigenetics is that your environment affects your nature because those genes get switched on based upon demand. And so you have a, what I would say, and I just, I don't know if this is a term, but I'll coin it right now. If it's not, you have your genetic potential. You have the genetic potential to be who you are if you are willing to put yourself in enough stressful situations, much like Elon Musk does. Because there's no way that Elon Musk wakes up every day and goes, the world's great, everything's calm, I'm doing great, you know. He's 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 forged himself through many tireless nights sleeping under his couch or his desk to be able to make that type of thing happen. But you, it's like we we want that comfortable life, but we also want we also want to see ourselves as heroic. You know, we want both sides at the same time. And that's why I think you're right. The the old school gods, Greeks, mythos, all those types of stories. They're really the gods are just your emotional sets, you know, Ares and Athena and all these other right. types. Of, they're all the emotions embodying the human spirit. And it's and it's that and that emotion reached to its full potential, potential of war, potential of love, right? Right. Those things that we, but we see those gods, but then we see that and we can, we can embody those characteristics and, and, and try to strive for whatever God we seek to be, right? And, 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 and one thing about those stories is actually the gods are sometimes the adversaries or the, the influences that are throwing the hero or the would-be hero left or right and through the storms, you know? Uh, because those emotions, let's say Aries or Mars, yeah. um, uh, reflecting the adrenal glands maybe and, <laughs> and, and kind of like that kind of aspect of our, of our rage and, and, and high-octane adrenaline kind of frenzy, right? Um, yeah. Where how do you, as the hero, aspect of your ego confronts a situation that is being influenced by a god of hormones and how can you you know traverse and 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 problem solve and keep your wits about you and i think more importantly how can you become uh meta to your your regular self can you in that moment and the thing I think you know when you talk about meditation and meditative practices and whatever people do to try to be go above the clouds of their their you know uh, landscape their inner landscape, um, you have to go meta in, in or at least strive for it to be a hero in any in any circumstance inner or outer. Um, and and I think the gods and and those tales um, kind of give us you know uh, that kind of storybook, but it's not it's not fiction it's allegory it's metaphor it's symbolic thinking and i think when you have that kind of um symbolic thinking is something that you do do you do see the world as that kind of uh, you know dramatic theater um and there, and the purpose of it is to become a better and better uh version of yourself um it's the point yeah no 100 and what it makes me think about it, it's almost like uh 
you know, the gods, the emotions rule you like a god, right? You have very little say over them. They pull you into places. They take you where you want to go. And if you look at, like, a god of war, I mean, he literally have to climb Mount Olympus to to become a god, to master the gods, to 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 take your rightful place and say, I I choose a higher potential of myself above the gods, as they say. And that's it's, and it's really interesting because you're right. There's metaphors. I mean, but that's how we learn. We learn through stories. Stories is a combination of emotions and lessons put together and something that you can then translate into your own world. Then when you see that pattern, you apply that pattern to your own life, and and you can get you can get lessons from anything, right? You get lessons from your emotions. You get lessons from the, from the gods teaching you. You know, oh God, why did you do this to me? And it's really you doing it to you. So it's like there's so much in that that I, I totally agree. I would love to like looking at what I call threshold guardians. So along mm. the way, you've had to face your own inner gods and demons and things like that. <laughs> as you've gone through this, can you talk to me about some of the threshold guardians you've faced as you've gone through this heroic journey of creating virtual leap and on this path of being an entrepreneur? You know, if when I was in a, as a game publisher, you know, and then that, that was a much simpler world when you talk about you know threshold guardians or gatekeepers or people you know who are ultimately you know I, I i denigrated the the middleman manager middle manager kind of individual um because that's my story right now is i'm constantly facing middle managers and middle managers are what they're the you know they're the immune system of organizations from keeping their status quo while still kind of compromising and taking in some, you know, innovation at their own terms and at their own timing and in their own way. They're always trying to, as an immune system, buffer reality out and keep themselves and their, their walled gardens, um, you know, somewhat stable and undisrupted, right? I mean, um, survival of an organism, organism is based on immune system and organism. And I think innovation is, is, uh, is a threatening force just as, as much as it is, it is at the end of the tunnel, a positive one. And yeah. so um, when I face as an as a entrepreneur that can potentially be disrupting a healthcare sector, mental health industries, ed tech, um, these are very, very um, uh, stable, solid sectors. At least they, they were much more, uh, they're, less, they're less so now, even though they are, but they're, they're much more open to change since the, the biblical plague on set upon us, you know, but, yeah. but, but I have to deal with people who go, I don't believe in VR, or maybe the person does believe in VR. Um, but the person on top of them, their other secondary middle manager doesn't believe in VR, or they're just, you know, stubborn about it. You're dealing with layers and layers of emerging tech is just way too new, um, for the pace of psychology as it stands today. I think when you're talking about the singularity and all those kind of ideas, I think it's the idea and the appreciation that things are accelerating and people need to, as, as psychological entities in any organization, be faster and quicker into adapting and being open-minded, but that's not the case. I don't think human psychology has improved in the last two, 3,000 years. That's a really controversial thing to say, but I really don't, th I, I read, if you read Homer or you read some savants from uh, you know, a thousand years ago, I don't think necessarily uh, we have actually evolved in the inner dimension. I think this is the same hero's journey as before, is the same one as today. I don't even think we're even at a higher potential than we are uh, 1,500 years ago, for example. I think technology makes us think um, we're evolving because it progresses with or without us. Yeah, yeah. But we're, we're kind of its slaves, you know? Yeah, monkeys with computers. 
Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, Homer's Odyssey is, you know, one of the oldest, you know, heroes journeys ever created. It's thousands of years old. Right. And if you look at it, you know, I, I saw <clears throat> my niece and my nephew, uh, like six years old and eight years old, just uh, spent the holidays with them. I, and I saw them just screaming and crying over the fact that someone ripped a piece of paper. And I was just like, and I realized that, like, as you get older, you you feel like you get smarter, but your emotions don't evolve. You don't evolve your emotions. You still have the same emotions. It's just different things set you off. And I think as, as a society, it's the same thing's true, right? As we've gotten old, we still have love. We still have hate. We're still, you know, descendants of chimpanzees and bonobos. We still we still can solve things with either with either violence and power or love and sex. And those types of things are, will always, they're always going to be around us as as we as we try to try to reach this higher level of things. But the Thing that's beautiful about the hero's journey and these types of things is that you can reach a higher potential if you're if you're willing to sacrifice your ego which feels like death to get to that next level to to go through and actually level up like who you are and and what you do um with that uh you're talking about middle managers now not to there's nothing here to shame middle managers it's it's where you are and the thing is, they can have a purpose. As long as people have a purpose, I've met people that are frontline employees that have a purpose. And maybe not the job's a purpose, or that's a purpose, or they find something else. And so there's value in that for them to have that purpose. And one could be to make sure that this company is safe and make sure that it works. And when you said immune system, I totally ding run a bell in my head because they're T cells, man. They're T they're, cells. Is this an invader? Is this an invader? Yeah, should we block? Should we block? Right. But I like, cannot leave at 5 p.m. Yeah. You know, uh, like, you know, my lunch breaks. Here in Portugal, uh, I'm gonna have my two-hour, you know, lunch break. You know, no. listen, man, listen. The the new world of of startups with you know crazy running on yeah. on, on on emerging tech octane. This is this is not a, a positivity thing. Um, but you're right. I should not be um, dissing um, that type of profile. I just want to challenge them to be aware of that so that they can help innovators innovate and bleed through into all stratas of organizations. Cause I promise you the world would be in a better place right now in a COVID world. If that was the case, we're suffering yes. way more than we need to be because of our stagnant ways of, of treating the world. Yeah. And, and a couple of things on that, it, it, this or no, this it's, it's a challenge to them. It's challenge. do they hear their own here of the call of adventure, right? Are they willing to step out into the brave unknown and try something new? Or are they going to stay a part of their community and stay where they're at? The, the, the challenge that you have with a lot of those types of things is everyone has a, a precognitive bias to their own information. So whatever right. you know right now is more important than any new information that you're going to learn. And so trying to have someone know, that they like, like know that VR is valuable unless they experience it for themselves. It's like they, it's, people say this, and so it's a weird trite statement. But people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. So trying to sell someone on VR doesn't work. They have to really understand it, experience it, value it, appreciate it, and then themselves buy into it. Because like trying to force someone to do anything, you can taunt someone. You know, you can say, "Hey, T cell, I don't think I don't think you fully understand. I'm your friend. I'm not your foe. I'm here to level you up, not bring you down. Let me in. You know, I'm I am medicine. I'm not a disease. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I think so. There's so there's there's no knocks on them. People and just because that's where they are, they could always go off and build their own yes. business or bring in innovation or be a part of something that grows the company into new places and and get become the hero of their own community. So there's so much there that they can do in that. Yeah. It's just you know, how do you you know when I love the, how do you inspire them and show them that this is the right way? You, you say that because it is a challenge to, to someone that doesn't understand the value of the VR and what you bring. How sure. do you, how do you inspire them 
to the potential of what, what you're bringing to them? Well, well, you want, I mean, you have to want to, you know, I mean, here's a negative. I mean, I, I just, you know, my day on day, it's just filled with, um, you know, things that are reality where I'm dealing with uh, all sorts of organizations um, where people just, they don't have the interest. Here's one thing. Um, I, I just want to throw this out there as an idea, but you know, I read it when I was uh, in my teens and it really had an effect on me. And it's the idea that <clears throat> you mentioned something that relates to this just a second ago. I just can't remember, but you know, when you, it's like um, the human system uh, has a lot of hormonal activity at any given time. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're, uh, you know, an embryo or when you're a one year old or you're like a toddler, then adolescent and then older and older, that level of hormone hormonal activity is goes from like high activity to much lower activity. It's like living in a storm of the craziest hormonal, like mess possible and you wonder why that you know toddler doesn't know what the hell's happening because there's like a thousand things happening and that's the reason you know why for example summertime was such a long season when you're a kid in your memory but it's so quick nowadays because you know less and less hormonal charge less and less adrenaline testosterone all these chemicals are are, are flurry in an older person than a younger person and so when you're getting older that storm starts to settle and get calmer and that allows you to maybe make wiser decisions because that storm isn't there but that gives you the misperception that you're becoming in fact wiser my experiment of a movie is to again i think they've done examples of this but not in the way i would want throw that person in their 80s who just thinks they're like you know you know very they are experienced but put that consciousness into a hormonal eight, you know, 15 year old, and let's see if their decisions are all perfect and right and, and smart and wise, because sometimes we're just a reflection of the environment and internal environment is, is something that really um, stands for a, a great deal. And I, so when I, when I'm dealing with, with people who are stakeholders, who are working at certain, you know, ages or in certain departments that I need to work with and hopefully convince to work with us in some shape or form for the benefit of whatever, um, you know, I'm dealing, you know, with people with preconceptions about, like you say, um, you know, their, their, their model of reality is something that they think is firm and, and, you know, they don't, they, think a lot of things are ones and zeros and they won't take the ones and turn them into zeros just to experiment with, you know, crazy people like me. So, you know, it's a real upward, uh, upward thing. I'm, I'm really just trying to find people who are even listening. And when I find those people who listen, then I have a chance, but uh, a good number of the majority are just deaf ears to even the, the idea of it. And they, you know, they're, they're late adopters. And so that's my challenge as a, as a company CEO is to just find, the resonating cells, um, <laughs> friendly T cells. <laughs> friendly T, love it. With that, like, okay, so you're talking about this the ones and zeros. People that like, you know, refuse to be emotionally moved by VR because VR is very emotional of an experience. So how do you how do you show like with psychology because emotions is very ephemeral, right? Um, you show that you have a psychological impact on people. How do you prove that? How do you prove that with science? How do you, how do you show them, look, uh, uh, objectively with ones and zeros, our system works. Our system is proven to help you improve your mental wellness and all that. Like how, how do you, how do you make that a ones and zeros decision? 
You know, in, in our sector, you have to do studies, um, either clinical studies, first and foremost, the kind that after like a couple of phases, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, they get approved and validated and you become a reimbursable uh, solution and the like. And that's a really big thing because you have to go through peer reviewed scientific rigor in order to get there. And then you have on the other hand, you have, um, you know, uh, health economic studies, like doing something with a big company and having them all kind of do brain training uh, as part of their human performance program. One big company, you know, requested that from us uh, a few weeks ago, and they want to have hundreds um, of these new headsets deployed in their in their organization, and they want to have HR, sales training, all sorts of VR kind of um, um, uh, content, but also, for example, uh, self help sort of uh, diagnostic uh, um, tools like ours. Um, and and for the human performance programs, but that's the thing you have to you have to ultimately have people who are receptive to even looking at those studies in the first place. But they do take time, and hopefully in the next year or two, we're going to see um, a lot of those kind of results come out and, and convince more people. Yeah, and and it, that's what made me interested about the the VR X book you're talking about. I was like, oh, there's studies out there. There's ways to show people five thousand, five thousand globally, a just a couple. Just a couple to read through. Well, I mean, the FDA, the FDA just uh, uh, declared uh, applied VR um, mm. their 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 solution for um, pain management is now a prescribed treatment for pain. I mean, why is that? Because they found when you're in VR, uh, certain parts of the brain responsible for pain reception they actually dampen. So the pain receptors are actually dampened in VR. So it's a pain management solution. The FDA just did that last year. I mean, also in June last year, the FDA just declared the first video game as a, a, a prescribed treatment for pediatric ADHD. Now a doctor can prescribe a video game versus uh, versus a, a drug, for example, or maybe pair it together. So last year was VR hitting like validation with the FDA and video games. And so intersection of VR, video games, all these things are all happening right now. So I, I think 2021, aside from the craziness of still being in, in, in this uh, weird situation, surreal situation, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Dude, yeah. And I had, I had Vengelis on the, on the podcast a little while ago talking about all his, his journeys with that, which is, which is pretty interesting. And uh, you're, you're talking about the great pandemic. Uh, as as we know it, as, as people will come to know it, it, it turned for all of us, all of our um, evangelists that we are, it turned it turned virtual reality to everybody else from a vitamin to a pain pill overnight. Or went from a nice to have to. There's no other way for us to connect in like a shared meat space kind of way other than doing this type of thing, which is which is which is great for you know people that have, you know been believers for so long in the space. Believers being that they've experienced it, they're they're behind it. The, with you and, and improving up the systems and doing these clinical studies, are you using, because there's really three ways to really measure things, right? You have you have self-efficacy reports, you have the actual reports of observers, then you have biofeedback. Those are the three ways you can really measure anything. So what about you and your systems and the studies that you're going through? How are you measuring the systems and what does that look like for you in terms of clinical studies and reports? So, you know, when we work on these studies, it's never us uh, leading it. Um, we find partners. Uh, so, for example, uh, institutes um, or academic medical research institutes, for example, uh, we're working with the VA healthcare system in, in San Francisco. Um, we're, we're working with uh, the Pacific Brain Health Center. 
Um, in, in Barcelona, for example, we're working with one uh, of the biggest university research hospitals, and they're doing a study, they're recruiting for a study right now. And what they've done is um, they're focusing on how does diabetes cause a uh, high risk factor to developing dementia, and how can a tool like Virtualeap's VR brain training solution be used as a way to be a gold standard for assessing really way faster, more reliably in all those ways, and basically set us as the gold standard for cognitive assessment. And then also see if there's any generative um, evidence for, for what we call transferability. So do people actually start remembering their grocery list better if they're regularly doing this kind of activity? So there's the assessment side, as, as a single priority aim. And then the secondary aim of seeing is there a therapeutic aspect. And so when they, as our partner leading the study, um, what they do is they create a clinical protocol um, in partnership with us, who, who we kind of assist them. And that clinical protocol shows what's the sample size, where's the geography of the people we're recruiting, uh, how long are they gonna do this for? For them, in, the, in their case, it's a 24 month study. Now, how are we going to test it, like you say? So what their primary, um, their primary aim for that particular partner is to actually correlate us to neuroimaging and brain scans because they want to be able to uh, uh, um, show is there a correlation with VR gameplay patterns specifically focused on targeting these, you know, these functions and what you see in neuroimaging scans and what we know about that. On top of that, of course, throughout the whole uh, study, they use traditional methodologies like the MOCA assessment tool and so on that are just tried and true traditional pen and paper or you know, 2D uh, screen-based kind of like surveys and, and, and exercises um, that they can use to correlate as well. So do our versions of the particular traditional methodology, do they also correlate? And does it correlate with neuroimaging? It's all about matching up to the status quo of what technologies we already accept now. And that's how we can you know, correlate and then say that this one by extension is the new like leader in the market in terms of bleeding edge. That's so cool. The, uh, yeah, I'm so glad how much technology has evolved along the way. You're talking about testing for diabetes. And we know back in the day, I don't know if you know this, diabetes testing, they'd drink your pee to see if it, if it was sweet. Way better tests now. Things have gotten better from the whole, whole experience. And you're talking about wow. the party. I know. Right? It's a true. It's a fact. Look it up. That's what doctors used I to will. do. If it was sweet. I'm writing it on my notebook. Take, take a look. And Drinking pee. You can also find diabetes. out firsthand knowledge. You can either learn it from other people or you can find it out yourself. I'll, I'll let I'm you decide. People, you, did you drink your pee? Is your is your pee sweet, sir? <laughs> is your pee sweet? It sounds. It sounds Don't different. The sir, at the end, it, it makes it professional. So the <laughs> no, but look, at, look at the clinical studies, right? And look at those different things. So, so partnering up with experts in the space, so they can run the clinic. Say, look, you're experts, and 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 bring the technology and, and and a lot of the the neuroscience to it. But then partnering up with the clinical person to to, to see if that makes sense is 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 where we're at with with technology and you're talking about brain scans and all these other cool things of, of, of you know un, unbiased information to show that there is actual internal progress in the system where not only your psychology affects your physiology your physiology can affect your psychology i.e brain scans and, and all those biofeedback systems what excites you about the future of these types of biofeedback technologies. What's on, what are the areas of these types of technologies coming up that you're excited for that you can, that you want to envision one, two, five years out that you're, that, that really gets you going? Well, you know, one of the partnerships we just uh, recently um, announced a couple months ago is, is with a company 
um, called Kernel. It's a uh, brain computer interface company that just came out of stealth, in fact, just a couple months ago. Um, and they have a you know device that ultimately is reading your, you know, um, brain activity, but in real time, right? Okay, uh, imagine if you don't have to go into a freaking giant, uh, you know, coffin machine. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. I don't really want to go in there. Um, and a lot of people who start to feel symptoms of this or that or want to check their own brain health, there's just there's so much a barrier in terms of cost, in terms of access to that huge machine. These devices are now being fitted out so that in like 10, 20 years, maybe even earlier, anyone can be able to get their own neuroscience real-time data immediately i mean we're seeing that with all sorts of you know transhumanist uh you know um biohacker kind of you know tech for breathing yeah. and and biomarkers and pulse and heart rate variability and all these kind of things are all coming together and i think we're starting to develop the digestion of of, of analytical tools that can allow normal humans that don't have any intellectual like you know understanding of what's happening to have numbers quantifying things about their cognition and their state and their and their health um it really excites me to have like immediate feedback available to us that's quantifiable through these technologies that are just amplified with vr and amplified with big data and amplified with ai but ultimately it's what does what's the final output that makes my life more actionable and meaningful and and, and clear you know just a little bit less confusion into the human drama you know that's exciting that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Empowering the end user. It makes me think about 3D printers. You know, years ago, 3D printers, I had to go to a maker tech event and then and then harangue of several people that tried to print up this stereolithographic, you know, 3D little doll I was trying to make. Nowadays you can you can order it on Amazon, have it show up your house in a day, and you're you're ready to go. That yeah. that, that dissemination of technology is it, you're saying the same thing is true. We're using VR and biofeedback where eventually the end user is going to be at home. They're going to be their own doctor. They're going to be their own therapist. They're going to be their own their own empowered patient. You know, yeah. uh, you're right. Everything is about empowering the 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 worker bee into being a you know somewhat you know give them superpowers to some some extent. You know, ultimately that's what we're all looking for too, right? Um, to see through walls. Yeah. You know, what are the what are the mental health superpowers that that uh, your system provides? Looking at in terms of mental health, right? What are the what are the, you talked about spatial, right? And, and especially in understanding that memory. Um, what about like emotionally? What are, what are the what are the yeah. can, you, can you give me the different tracks? Like if I, if we were to kind of level those things up, what are those different tracks? So we wouldn't get into you know emotional assessments. Um, uh -huh. Ours would be more about the kind of the muscles uh, of your brain that allow you to be able to do certain kind of you know activities um, by using those muscles. So if you need to problem solve or do processing of certain numbers that you have to input in your head or be able to understand the spatial uh, you know uh, measurements and so on better and better. And you know I I suck with uh, meters like I mentioned and all these kind of things. Um, um, but but for example, one of the games. Whenever we create a game, it's based on pre-existing assessment tools or pre-existing research. And so, for example, one of our games is called Magic Deck. It was <clears throat> uh, based on the research of the University of Cambridge. Uh, Dr. Barbara Sahakian and her team um, had created this type of game mechanism that tested uh, episodic memory, a type of long-term memory. And they found that when you uh, play out this type of memory game, it increases neuroactivity in the region of the brain associated with schizophrenia. And they found that with playing this type of game regularly, schizophrenia, the symptoms of it, would actually lessen and abate. So from the point of view of mental health in our tool, it's 
when you start to create these games that are actually activating certain you know pathways of the of, of the human um, you know mechanism and our way of perception and all these kind of things, it's also doing things like increasing neuroactivity and changing the 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 you know the, the, the landscape at least momentarily. And we know neuroplasticity wise that when you do something like that consistently, you can reshape the brain literally. And so that's the premise of our of our technology is that these kind of content activity is it's just a, a means of you know of of going with the motions, therefore kind of creating an effect and then having that effect hopefully start to gel and and bring you to more wholesome, a better healthy kind of homeostatic kind of state for yourself. And if you are out of balance, this kind of thing would be serving as the gym for the mind. And in like 10 years, it might not be so weird for someone to take on their AR glasses and start playing, you know, 10, 15 minutes of some mental exercises uh, based on the kind of technology and solutions we've created. And they'll see it the same way of that hat promotes their mental health as we right now see going for a run and going to the gym as promoting our physical health. I think that's going to be um, what it will what it will become. That's ah, so cool. The uh, empowering patients to reshape the brain. I think that's really cool. And using, you can actually look oh, at that. Oh, I'm going to copyright that. There you go. Have you just, one. you know, you just put it, you just, <laughs> you put it together. You synergized it. I'm just a mirror, man. That's cool. No, so uh, that is really cool. Um, so um, this is all amazing. If people want to find out more about what you do, how to find it, how to get a hold of it, and also how to get a hold of you, um, how do they do that? Well, you know, LinkedIn, um, I'm a junkie. Uh, I just can't help it. I really like that that platform I've had for like a decade at least. Um, so contact me on LinkedIn. If you have like a, a custom message, it tells me why you're connecting. Like for example, you heard me on this show, then at least I know you're not gonna sell me a vacuum cleaner or something and I will add you. Um, you can also email me at Amir, my first name, at virtually the company name. And I'm happy to, to hear from you that way. Um, but I'm very friendly as long as you're not trying to sell me vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, would you like to buy a book of encyclopedias? <laughs> wow, I miss those. I miss those people. I remember very clearly one guy coming in, and he yeah. was sweating. For, it was such a hot summer day, and my oh. mom actually invited him. She he, she bought the whole thing, oh. and then she asked to give him lemonade, you know, or some kind of lemonade. I remember he was sweating. Like it was a beautiful moment. Uh, kindness can go a long way, Mir. Brother, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great talk. Um, look forward to uh, chatting more with you later and the uh, best luck on you and your hero's journey. Thank you for having me, Dylan. Of course, Mir. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, Tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.